Morning. Great to see everybody. We are continuing our series that we began last week on road trips, summer road trips. And uh, if somebody, we're going to share some road trips that we have had throughout the course of this series. If anybody has a road trip that you would actually like to write down and send it in, we as a staff, we're going to read it and we're going to figure out who's got the best and most exciting road trip and you're going to earn a lunch. You're going to get a free lunch for whoever's road trip wins that whole thing. So that's that's exciting. Write your road trip down. I know some of us have had some incredible times on road trips. I'm going to share one of mine in just a moment with you. Um, let me first say this. There, the first fill in the blank up top is this. What should a church do? A church should be on the move. A church should be on the move. We just sang a few moments ago, here I am, Lord. Uh, is it I? I will go. I will go. And we're we're going to talk about the first missionary trip of the Apostle Paul that he took and how he went and how he moved out and why did he move out? Why did he go? And there's something very important for us to keep in mind. This is about redemption. Movement in our lives individually or movement in our lives when we move with a purpose as a church, it all begins with redemption. It all begins with people receiving Jesus Christ as their savior on my phone i have a gps and on this gps there's like a little pin that drops down and says this is the starting location and here's the end location do you want to you want a road map from the starting location from the starting pin point so in our lives if we want to live lives of purpose we i'm going to talk about living an abundant life if you want to really live the starting point of the pin you focus your life it's about redemption it's about the story of Jesus Christ and why he came in the first place. So our lives individually, this is how we put them into focus. It's not about making a lot of money. It's not about traveling and accumulating things. That's not starting point number one. Starting point number one for purpose in our lives is about redemption. Now, that does not mean that we go out and we force Jesus down people's throats, right? That doesn't mean that. That means we go out and we say, hey, brother, you need Jesus in your life, Right? Or what's wrong with you? Why don't you have Jesus in your life? That's completely wrong. And I think some of us have seen that happen. I've seen that happen. That's ridiculous. That's arrogant. That's not the way Christ worked. But it's about just telling the good news of Jesus Christ. It's about telling the story of His grace, which is unbelievable. Grace is the most powerful force in this universe. And so here is where this point begins. And I want us to keep that in mind over these next three weeks. We're going to be tracking with Paul on his first missionary trip. Okay. Let me tell you about a road trip I took for two years. The first two years that Krista and I were married, we took a road trip every single weekend. We were living in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, where I was in Bible college, and we traveled every weekend to Aberdeen, Maryland. It was about an hour and a half, a two-hour drive. We packed up every single Saturday morning and took a drive down to Aberdeen, where I was a youth pastor in a church. The grind of packing up every week. We got into town around afternoon. We always did a function with the youth group, you know, some kind of activity that wore us out. And so we had to spend the night somewhere. So the church decided they were going to find the cheapest motel in town to put us up in. You know, just so gracious. They found the cheap. So we went to the cheapest motel in town. And that wasn't working because the, for the first couple of weeks, there was nothing but drug bust all night long that was going on in the parking lot. It was crazy. We couldn't sleep. We're falling asleep 
sleep in church the next day. We get up in church the next day, and here's how our, our, our week, you know, looked every week. So we would, uh, we would do, we would do Sunday school at like nine o'clock, and then that was followed by, um, teaching children's church. Now, the pastor of this church, Man, he loved to talk, and that was translated in his preaching. So he would preach at minimum an hour and a half, most of the times two hours, which meant that impacted children's church, didn't it? Because we couldn't just release the kids, so we had to keep the kids. So we did children's church for about two hours. It was Sunday school and children's church. At 4 o'clock, we did a youth service, and then at 6 o'clock, we had a Sunday night service again. And again, we were up for a two-hour sermon. By the time everybody left, it was 9 o'clock. We went back to the pastor's house. Uh, right next door for a pizza and a debriefing time in which he did not use up all of his words yet. So he still had more, had more talking to do. And every Sunday night ended the same way. We're completely tired, dog tired, completely tired. It's like 1030. We have to a two hour drive ahead of us. And he would always walk us out to the church parking lot. We come out. We're, we want to go. He's talking the whole way. Talk. You ever been in one of those situations where somebody just can't stop talking? He's talking the whole way. So you say, okay, well, we'll see you later. You get, you get to the point where you open the car door. You think they're going to get the message. Okay, we'll see you later. Just didn't even face him. Just kept talking. Finally, you get in the car with the car door open, still talking. Okay, it's good to see you. We would, I would roll the window down and close the door and talk to him out, hoping that finally, check this. This is totally serious. You can ask Krista this. We had a stick shift car and the, the parking lot was on a, a slope, like, so I would start coasting back and he would walk with me and would talk to me all the way. It was crazy. And the whole time, the whole time, what is Krista doing sitting in the pastor's seat? She, bam, just out, go, go, go. So that's our road trip. So. Churches move, people move, because God is a God of movement. Don't forget this. God, if you want to have a, a proper understanding of the theology of God, God is about movement. And I want to talk about the importance of that in just a moment. Let's read this story, if we can. And we're going to flash up. Let's see if we put that map up here real quick, how, how well we can see it if the lights actually are still on. Can you throw that map up there? Okay. Should, do we need to turn the lights off? Can you see it Okay. I'm going to read the story, but in just a second, if you can see, I don't know, this this might buzz when I walk. No, okay, we're good. So here's Jerusalem down here, and this had been the center of Christianity, okay? There's a major shift coming in the Bible in Acts chapter 13. Things shift up here, so Jerusalem's down here, okay? And it shifts up here to Antioch, and on this first trip, they leave down to this port city a short walk. They take a short five-mile walk down to Seleucia. They go to this island called Cyprus and they travel all through this island. That's the section I'm going to read to you about, okay, in Acts chapter 13. That's not the end of their trip, but just so visually you can get it in your mind, that's what they do. So here we go, Acts 13, starting in verse number 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is very critical, what I just read. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit says this, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed... They placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. That phrase gets me. I mean, it's almost like they're being shot out of a cannon, out of the cannon for God into moving forth by the Holy Spirit into God's will for their life. Okay. They went down to Cilicia and sailed there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Speaking of John Mark. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer, the false prophet named Bar-Jesus, 
who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The council was an intelligent man, which is good to know, good to have people, leaders who are smart, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, this guy named Bar-Jesus, for, that was, uh, for that's what his name meant, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full ki- all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time and you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately a mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. He believed he put his faith in Jesus Christ, his Savior. What's interesting is we got one guy going blind and another guy's eyes are opened. Let's pray. Father, what do you what do you want to show us today? What is it that you would have us to learn? What is it that you would have us to do? Where do you want us to move in our lives? In Christ's name, amen. Something that strikes me and has always struck me about the people uh, in the book of Acts, this church, is these people really lived. I mean, they really lived. They lived full, full Lives, And I don't mean they were just busy. God does not want us to be busy scurrying around frantically trying to keep up with life. God does, that's not God's design for us to be stressed out. But God wants us to live full lives. There's a famous statement of Jesus Christ and he says this. He says, I have come that you might have abundant life. Jesus Christ has come that we might really live that we might experience all of life that he has designed for us to experience. When I think about the church in the book of Acts, they think about there was times in their lives as a, as, a, as a church, like where the building they were meeting in was just shaken by the power of God. Like Just awesome things would happen. Thousands of people were coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. They were understanding the grace of God, that they didn't have to work their way into God's good graces, but God just graciously just said, you can receive this gift of a relationship with me. Thousands of people were experiencing that. People were being healed. There was miracles taking place. There was loads of excitement. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that catches me about the church in the book of Acts. There was a lot of excitement, but it wasn't through manipulation, through human manipulation. You know what I mean? I mean, you might be in certain situations where, or even churches, maybe you've experienced this, where there's like this, this human manipulation to whip people up into some kind of lather that's all coming from humans that wasn't happening that way. What was going on was like genuine God. Genuine God doing stuff. I know somebody showed me um, a tape years ago of a preacher they, they really loved. And I want to apologize if you love this kind of uh, preaching or this kind of style right up front. But they were showing me this tape of this guy. And this guy in this huge service and thousands of people, he would, he would go, he says, you know, I've got the power of God right here in my hand. And he would wave it over people and like whole hundreds of people would fall down. And there was so much human manipulation that was going on, it just kind of sickened me. My son, now I've seen that stuff before, right? My son, Jonathan, who's 16, he has never seen anything like that in his life, right? I have seen people prayed for and like people will fall down, right? They call it slain in the spirit. People would fall down. Maybe some of you are familiar with that. Maybe you've watched TV and seen some of that. My son has never seen that kind of stuff before. And he's watching the Jesus channel the other day. 
And on the Jesus channel, there's this guy, this pastor, thousands of people. He's praying for people. Boom! People are going out. And then they would bring up these blankets and they would cover the people up. Now, what is a 16-year-old that's never seen anything like that before? What is he thinking? What does he think? I hear this call from the, from the, from the family room. Dad? Dad, 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 come in here. Come in here. We got a problem. I need you to see this. What's going on? Dad, there's a pastor. He's killing people. And they're taking a blanket and they're covering the people over. Somebody needs to call the police. There was no human manipulation going on. It felt like as you read these words in the book of Acts, this church, man, God was just moving. And they were really living. And it was full. It was life. It was by God, not by human power or manipulation. It was just God. That's my vision for Grace Community Church. It always has been. That we would experience life for all it's worth. The way God wants it to be. Every single one of us. As individuals and as a group. That we would experience that. Would be absolutely awesome. Now, Acts 13 shows a major shift through the history of the early church. The first 12 chapters, basically we've got them in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus has said, look, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. That's what he had said. He had told them to move out and to go. And basically they had stayed right in Jerusalem, which was a problem. They needed to be on the move. They didn't understand this, or they got complacent, or they were apathetic, whatever. But they had not moved out. And this was going to eventually cause a problem. One of our toughest adversaries that you and I are ever going to face, you and I are ever going to face in our lives, is apathy. It's complacency. It's the comfort of just staying in the regular routine and doing what we've always done and approaching life always the same way. It's apathy. And we're going to always... Fight this. Revelation chapter 3. Jesus Christ is speaking to a church and he says these words, famous words in the book of Revelation. He says, look, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're not. You're lukewarm. And because you're just lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to get you moving. What's Jesus saying? He says, I wish you were hot. No, what does that mean? I wish you were hot. He's not speaking about a woman here. I wish you were. He said, I wish you were, I wish you were headed in the right direction. I wish you were headed in the right direction, but you're not. Option number one for you is I wish you were moving with me in the right direction, experiencing all that life was. I wish you were doing that. That's option number one, but you're not. So option number two, since it's not number one, is I wish you were cold. I wish you were running hard in the wrong direction away from me. That's option two, everybody. And he says, fine, he says, but you're neither option one or two, you're option three. And I can't stand it, so I'm going to spit you your option number three, you're lukewarm. You're moving in no direction whatsoever. Think about that. God would rather us run hard to Him or run hard away from Him rather than us. Apathy and complacency and justice. You know, if you look in the mirror today, do you see the same person? You see the same spiritual person that you saw a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Have you changed? Can your best friends and your family say, yeah, man, they, they've changed. I've seen God working in their life over the last year, five years, or ten years. Because unless somebody can come along and say, I've seen some changes, unless I can look in the mirror, unless I can ask my wife or ask my family, you know, if, I, if they have to say no, then what I'm dealing with is complacency and apathy. And you know what God wants to do with me? He wants to come along and... Pfft, 
because he wants me to move, whether that's in the right direction, preferably, or the wrong direction, second option. I've got to get moving. God is a God of movement. God's been knocking on my door recently, actually the past couple months, just knocking away on my door and speaking to me, impressing some things upon my heart. And what he's saying to me is it's time, just like Acts chapter 13, major shift for them. It's like a major shift time in my life. God's saying to me, you are not living. I am tired of you not living. Jesus Christ came for abundant life and you are just not living. You are so busy, you are missing out on life. Aren't you tired of this yet? And what God has been putting on my heart, it is time for a change because my life is empty. Because I'm just doing too much. And we see a road map in Acts chapter 13 to like getting shot out of that cannon, being sent forth by the power of the Holy Spirit to really living, to really living. It's time for a shift. It's time for a change. Listen to some of these verses. I want to share with you Acts 17, 28. The Apostle Paul is talking to a group of people and it's ta- he's talking about God. He says, for in God, in him, we live and we move. We don't live and we stay. We live and we move. You know what I do in my life? I'm moving in my own power, in my own way, in my own strength far too often. We live and we move in God. We don't live and stay in God. We don't live and move by our own power. We live and we move by God. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most. What God's been putting in my heart is I'm not making the most of every opportunity. I'm not living life to the fullest. You know what the days are evil? You think, oh, the days are evil. Oh, man, the devil's out there. You know what the devil is? The devil, the devil is scheduling. The devil is priorities. The devil is the fact that I just allow so many things else in my The devil is, the, in, in, in the United States of America, the land of options, the devil is because we have too many options. And it waters down the best. And so we got a lot of good going on in our lives, but we don't have the best. We're not fully living. God's saying, you know what, it's time that you get back to what is most important in your life so you can really, really live. I love this verse, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to make the most of our time. I need God to teach me how to make the most of my time. The church in the book of Acts got off track. They became complacent. And now we're going to watch them get back on track and we're going to see how exactly they did that and how they got shot out of this cannon for God and moved towards what God wanted them to do to really live life and to live it for all that it is worth. So there's four things that I see really clearly here. And we find them in verses 2 to 4. Of Acts chapter 13. I want to read this section to you again and go through these four things. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Let's stop right there. Here's the, here's the fill in the blank. The first thing that you need to get. You need to get hooked. What God is really speaking to me is you got to get hooked through this. It's a very interesting word here. It says they were worshiping the Lord. I thought, okay. They as a group of people were together and they were worshiping God. 
somehow that translated them getting shot forth. But other translations say they were ministering to the Lord. And I thought, well, that's interesting. We got worshiping. We got ministering. They chose two different words and some different translations of the Bible. Why did they do that? So I looked at the Greek to figure out what's going on. And it was this word called liturgeo. What exactly does that mean? You know what that word means? It means that what they were doing is they were serving God in a specific role within the church. They had a ministry. They were responsible to some ministry within the church. And out of that step number one of being responsible to some kind of ministry within the church, that was the first step of them getting shot forth in what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in and through their lives. In other words, they had taken on a responsibility. They were hooked onto a responsibility within the body of Christ, within the church. They were hooked in. And out of that, they moved forth. Now, this is, this is important. Here's how I live much of my life. Human nature is this and my nature is this. I want rewards without responsibility. Okay? I want rewards without responsibility. I would like to come home to a clean house without having to clean the house. Okay? I would like to come home and eat dinner without cooking the dinner. I want to come home and after the dinner is over, I want the kitchen to be clean and I want the whole house to be organized without cleaning dishes and without organizing. I would love a manicured lawn without doing any yard work, right? So this is what I want. I want all the rewards. I want no responsibility. I don't want to be hooked on for any responsibility. I don't have time to do that. Can't somebody else do that? I just want to eat the food. Maybe you've been on a road trip at some point in your life where you were with somebody and they didn't want to help unpack the car, they didn't want to buy the groceries, you know what I'm saying? But they were first in the chow line when it was time to eat. You know what I'm talking about. All the rewards and none of the responsibility. And God says that principle works exactly the same for living life to the fullest of God. You have to get hooked on with some responsibility in the church. Listen, listen everybody. If you can walk in and out of church every single week, right? And sometimes show up, sometimes not show up and have no responsibility. Like, I'm mean, like, if you didn't show up for months, no ministry is suffering whatsoever because you're not hooked on to it. There's a problem. You have to be hooked into responsibility. You know, my human nature is saying, you know what? I don't want the reason. I'm, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to write my name on this ministry. I'm too busy to serve. I'm too busy to be responsible right here. I can't do it. Let somebody else do it. Or I, I feel too inadequate to, to sign on and say I'll do it. Let somebody else do it. Whatever the excuse might be, it's human nature to want reward without responsibility. And what I'm saying, you've got to get hooked. You've got to let God hook you. You gotta pick up a ministry within the church. You have to, according to that, you have to pick up a ministry. You have to have some kind of responsibility. It's out of that responsibility that you have, that you're hooked in, that when you're not here, that somebody's getting let down. Does that make sense? Do you have that? They had that. That was step number one. They were responsible somewhere. They were hooked. Here's the second thing that I see here. You gotta get away from the table. Get away from the table. So they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. They were fasting. Now what is the deal with fasting? Exactly what is fasting? Fasting is when you don't eat. Which never translates to a good thing for me. 
They were not eating. Get away. Now, why is fasting so powerful? They were getting shot out of this cannon towards God's will to living life for all of his fullness because they were hooked. They had a ministry and they were fulfilling that ministry week in and week out, month in and month out. They were doing that. And the second thing we see there, they're fasting. They weren't eating. Why is not eating such a powerful spiritual thing? Now, we could say, well, okay, fasting is when, you know, you don't eat, you push away from the table, and that whatever 20, 30 minutes that you're not eating, you read the Bible and you pray, and rather than focusing on food and pizza and spaghetti or cereal or whatever you want to eat, you're focusing on God, right? And that's wonderful, and I've heard that for years. Something seems a little hollow to me about that, though, because as I read through the Scriptures, I have no idea what's so powerful about fasting. All I know is I read through the Scriptures, I see that people who did powerful things fasted. Jesus fasted. Nehemiah, when he heard the walls of Jerusalem were knocked down and nobody could rebuild them, it says he fasted. And then God worked through him and he rebuilt the walls. Daniel, when he needed to hear from God, he fasted. The disciples fasted. All kinds of people, when they did all kinds of powerful things for God, they fasted. When here, when they're getting ready to boom, move forward in God, what they do? They fasted. Here's the thing. You should pick a day this week. And you should fast. You should fast. Now, some of you say, well, man, I got food problems. All right, let's cover you people with the food problems. What is it that you really, really love? Like, you know, when I don't, I don't, I don't think I love food, but when I stop eating and I miss a meal, all of a sudden I love food. All right, so for the few of you people who can't fast because of food, pick something you love. All right, so the 95% rest of us who can skip a meal without major physical mental and emotional ramifications. (laughs) Pick a day this week. You got something you're praying about? You need direction in your life? You need an answer to prayer? Maybe you've been praying about something for 10 years and wonder, oh my goodness, why is it not happening? You know what? God hits me on the head every now and then and says, you know what, John? You bother fasting about it? And every time you see fasting in the Bible, something powerful happens. Have you bothered fasting about this thing that you've been talking to me about for so long? Like, do you want it so bad that you'll skip a whole day worth of eating for it? Don't know why fasting is so powerful. Can't tell you. All I know is in the read through the Bible that when people fast, powerful things happen for God. Pick a day this week. Pick a day this week. Not next week, not next month, not next year. Pick a day this week. Really makes it close, doesn't it? Makes the proximities tough. Pick a day this week and don't eat. And just tell God, God, I'm doing this for you. Get away from the table. Here's the third thing that we see going on here. You've got to get on God's plan. Get on God's plan. It says, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and they had prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. See that phrase that I underlined there on the back of your bulletin? They were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. That's how we want to be. That's how we want to be sent out. That's really living. We want to live lives where we're sent on our way by the Holy Spirit. Not by yourself, not by your boss, not by your parents, not by anybody else. You want to be sent off first and foremost by the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to get on God's plan. How do you do that? Well, uh, the Bible and prayer are really critical roles in this. When you read the Bible, God is speaking to you. And when you pray, you are speaking to God. That's that two-way conversation that is so very important. I did a wedding two weeks ago. 
out in Missouri, and they chose the 127th Psalm. I want to read this Psalm to you. Just the first couple verses, I think, are fantastic. And this was all part of God just knocking on my door, speaking to me. This is what it says. Is Unless the Lord builds the house, it's builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and you stay up late toiling for food. And I said, Lord, that is me. I am trying so hard in my own strength. And God's saying, you know what? You are so busy, you don't even have time to pray. That's me. I am so busy working for God that I don't have time to pray. And what God spoke to my heart is I need to work less and I need to pray more. I need to work less and I need to pray more. God is just, and that Psalm 127 was so clear. I am just getting up early and I'm laboring. I got a long list to do every day. And I'm so busy. I said, you know what, God, I'll get to you later. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking about you, Lord. Oh, you know, God and I, we just have all these wonderful talks throughout the day. Oh, that's great. But you know what? I'm so busy that I can't start my day by checking in with the superintendent of the job who's in charge of the job site. Like I'm, he's got the game plan for the day and I don't have time to check in with the superintendent and say, what's the game plan for building the house today? I'm too busy. It doesn't work on a construction site. You've got to check in. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are night people. My wife is a morning person. I'm a night person. I have a problem going to sleep at night. I used to have a problem getting up in the morning, but then I had kids. I have no longer have a problem with that. So I'm, I'm battling to both extremes. I can't fall asleep at night. If you are a morning person, please start your morning by prayer. If you're a night person, all right, I used to feel so bad because I felt like, oh, man, I got to get some serious praying done in the morning. And I was so tired. I couldn't go to bed at night. I'd wake up so groggy and it was, I would just fall back asleep. It was terrible. You know, in the Bible, it was sundown to sundown. So when there was a fast to go on, you would you would start fasting when the sun went down and you would break the fast when the sun went down. So the nighttime actually began the next day is what I'm trying to say to you. So if you are a night person like me, you start your day at night and you say, God, this day that is starting right now, it is yours. I'm checking in with you. I want your will. Let's get this thing started outright and spend some serious time talking to God and saying, God, I want you to send me forth in the power of the spirit into this day. And I want you to help me to be happy with the instructions that you give me. Because sometimes we go to the superintendent of the job and he says, you know, this is the way I want you to build the house. But you know what? I got a better way I want to build this house. I said, God, I want you to help me to be happy. I want you to send me forth. I want to check in with you. If you're a morning person, do that in the morning. Like before your little feet hit the ground, say, God, this is your day. Today is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to start this day off right. I want your will. I want you to send me in the power of the Spirit throughout this day. I'm so busy. I don't even have time to do that. I'm working so hard for God. I don't have time to check in with the superintendent. God says, you are toiling in vain. Like you're trying to build this house all on your own. It's ridiculous. You know what, guys? It's just like golf. And if you hate golf, I'm sorry. I want to give a golf analogy real quick. I had this weird, weird thing happen to me this past week. I got, I was having lunch with a guy. Well, some of you know my cousin. My cousin was here a couple years ago, brought his college group in. My cousin was supposed to go to Pebble Beach and play golf at Pebble Beach. Everybody know where Pebble Beach is? 
suitcase. So I'm having lunch with his father-in-law on a total separate issue. I'm having lunch. Just we're talking about something else. And while I'm having lunch with his father-in-law, my cousin's father-in-law, he looks at me and says, you play golf? I said, no, not really. He said, would you like to play Pebble Beach? I said, well, I don't know. He said, you can stay for free at Pebble Beach and you can play for free at Pebble Beach and you get most of your meals for free. It was, uh, I didn't have time to go, but it was one of those things that the, the, the offer was too overwhelming. It was impossible to say no. You know what I'm saying? It was impossible. Some of you guys act, know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't offer somebody like that. It was like, why are you doing this to me? You know, he put me in a really bad situation. So uh, I go out to play golf this past week. I played at Pebble Beach. I am a non-golfer. And I stayed for free, and I played for free, and almost all my meals were covered. It was phenomenal. Here's the problem. Here's, here's what I knew for the last two weeks of my life. I stink at golf because I never play. I, like, I'm really bad. So what am I thinking about? You know, I'm thinking about that first tee. I'm thinking about everybody standing there because it was like this golf tournament. I'm thinking everybody's standing there, and I'm thinking about me swinging and that ball just dribbling in the embarrassment that I was going to experience as a result of that. So, uh, in the past when I've played golf, and I very, very seldom, I'm thinking, you know, if you want to hit the ball, man, you've got to just really just, just crank up with your arms as hard as you can, just and swing, and the ball would go about 20 or 30 yards and usually way over to this side over here. So, I'm sitting in the car one day in a parking lot waiting for Kristen. I got the little iPhone out and I put it on YouTube, and I just put golf swing in. And this guy, listen, this is, I'm 44 years old. I had never heard what I'm getting ready to tell you. Some of you know, nobody bothered to tell me. Are you all trying to play a joke on me? I don't know. Hey, golf is not about your arms. It's not about swinging hard as you can with your arms. It's just a simple rotation of your shoulders. It's a rotation of your shoulders. So I got out there on the first tee at Pebble Beach, and man, I just, I couldn't help it. I swung as hard as I could with the arms, and the ball just... <laughs> and it was in terrible embarrassment. Terrible embarrassment. So later on throughout the day, I said, you know what, I'm going to try this with just the shoulder swing. And you know what, you know what hit me in my brain? I said, this is too easy. I mean, how could the ball move? I mean, I'm, it feels like I'm not doing anything when I'm just rotating my shoulders. And so I tried hitting the ball one time and it just took off. I said, I'm going to do that again. And it took off again. It just went. I mean, it just went. And later on throughout the round, I said, you know what? What would happen if I did the shoulder thing, but then I really tried to swing hard? Like I put the two together and then it dribbled off. <laughs> it was terrible. What did not make sense, listen to me, everybody. What did not make sense to me is when I just simply did the simple rotation, which felt like no pressure whatsoever, just a, the ball just sailed. It's the same way with our lives. When you will work less and pray more, and when, you're, when, when you put prayer at the right times of your life, like at the beginning of things, not at the end of things, you'll hit the ball a lot farther and straighter. Last thing, you've got to just get going. You must simply get going. They changed, everybody. They moved. They obeyed. They threw off complacency and apathy in Acts chapter 13, and they moved out. I asked the question at the beginning of this whole thing. If you looked in the mirror or somebody looked into your life, have you dramatically or any at all changed in the past year or five years or ten years? Are you a different person? If not, you are lukewarm. I have to look at myself and I say, you know what? I am lukewarm. I'm like stuck. I'm not running in the right direction. I'm not running in the wrong direction. I'm just here. I'm just here, baby. Right here. 
I'm at option number three on God's list. Where are you? Where are you? They moved. Have you become more Christ-like? Have you become more patient? Do you know more of God's Word? And are you applying more of God's Word to your life? Are you moving forward spiritually? Here's the thing I want to say about movement. God is always on the move, but He's never busy. God is always on the move, but He's never busy. I will never forget this point about movement. I took a theology class in seminary. My professor, very interesting guy, very interesting guy. He, everything he did, like he made minimal body movement and minimal facial expressions. And when he spoke in class, like the words barely made it off his lips because they, they hardly ever moved. And he talked just above a whisper. We were about halfway throughout through the semester, halfway through a particular class I was attending, and all of a sudden he got on this theological point that God is movement. That's what God does. And as he started to talk about God is movement, this guy who like barely ever moved all of a sudden broke into some kung fu thing. He started, I mean, he didn't say a word. He just all of a sudden started going, and he just, and all this stuff, and he went on for 30 seconds. He stopped and he said, it's beautiful. And then he continued And everybody in class was like, whoa, man, what was that? God is movement. He wants to move you. He does not want you staying where you are. He doesn't want your finances staying in the place that they're in right now. He doesn't want your relationship with your spouse staying where it is right now. He doesn't want your attitude to stay the same as it is right now. He doesn't want your relationships the same. He does not want you to stay the same. God wants to move you. Now, some of us are at a turning point in our lives right now. Will you move with God? We need to pray this week. We need to fast this week. We need to get on the hook this week. We need to move out with God. We have a prayer room over here. Some of us need to stop into it. I know I do. Just pray. Ask for God to send you forth in the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, that you show us in Acts 13 that when we get off track, we get complacent, that we're getting apathetic, and we're not really living life, but our lives are empty. You show us exactly the steps to getting back on track. Lord, your desire for us is to shoot us forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, to do a wonderful thing, to really, really live. God, I want to pray for every single person here. That includes me. That God, maybe this week would be the week that we would start to move in you. Be the week that we would start to just really launch forth in the power of the Spirit. Bless every person here right now who's wrestling with something. Who's wrestling with a decision. Who's wrestling with an empty life. And Father God, just light a fire in us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.